Um, Acts chapter 4, it's page 1096 uh, in the church Bibles in the large print uh, 1696. Uh, 1,696. And I'm going to read from verse 31. It sort of picks up, um, it's kind of the end verse of a previous section, but it just uh, it might remind us of what's been going on in Acts, if we're familiar with it. And then we'll just be reading to chapter, chapter 5, verse 11. So let me, let me pray for us as we uh, hear God's word as well as, as we uh, hear it preached. Lord, we thank you very, very much for your word and we still ourselves before you. Remember how the psalmist prayed, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Please, Lord, as we turn to the book of Acts, may we find your goodness and your grace as you speak to us. And may you work in us that we would hate every wrong path for your name's sake. Amen. So after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out 
also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men who came in, came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, this week saw the uh, sad suicide of Steve Diamond. He was found dead uh, in his bedsit days after taking the lie detector test on the Jeremy Kyle show. I don't know if you, that bit of news uh, came to you. The media storm sort of surrounding that has exposed some of the ways that that show has uh, profited from people's misery and uh, how Jeremy Kyle's own life well, it has more than its fair share of addictive behaviour and uh, betrayal and hurtful uh, treatment towards others. The very things that he exposes and condemns um, in others. And that hypocrisy and selfish treatment of other people has destroyed the show, uh, at least for now. I don't know if it's completely game over. Um, and we'll have mixed feelings about that, I guess. And some of us might not even know what the uh, Jeremy Carr show is. Well, our passage today has the issue of selfishness and hypocrisy at its heart. Not a TV show, but inside Jesus' church. And we're going to find it warning us. Because unchecked, selfishness and hypocrisy uh, will destroy us. But actually the main thrust of the passage this morning is encouragement. Is encouragement uh, to us. Because Jesus' power to change selfish people into sacrificial servants who love one another at cost is really attractive and awesome. And Jesus' power to bring an end to hypocrisy so that people are honest and genuine is awesome and attractive. Generosity and uh, genuineness are big issues for us today. I think we live in an age where the gap between rich and poor just seems to increase. And we also live in an age where projecting a good image to other people really matters, especially on social media, doesn't it? And with all kinds of um, uh, photo apps, you can present almost any image, whatever you look like, you can sort of look to the world almost completely different. A bit of makeup and the right photo filter. And then that uh, leads to all kinds of pressures, doesn't it, in the world around us. And uh, we almost wonder who we are and who other people are and what's real and what's fake. The whole thing about fake news is a thing, isn't it? Well, in Acts, if you turn with me and if you've closed your Bible, turn it back to page 1096, Acts chapter 4, end of, and beginning of chapter 5. By now, there's a community of about at least 5,000 Christians, uh, many of whom seems were miles from home. They travelled to Jerusalem for Pentecost. If you remember the book of Acts, Peter had stood up and preached and all their lives had been changed as they'd come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And because what God is doing in them and through them in Jerusalem, they'd stayed longer than they intended to do. I don't know if you've ever been on holiday and stayed longer than you meant to stay. Um, I've never had the privilege or the problem of doing that. But uh, uh, if you've done that, you'll know that there might be some difficulties. And there was no online banking or cash points in, those, uh, in the ancient world. No Western Union to be able to send a, uh, a quick transfer. So cash flow must have been an issue for some of them. 
And there does seem to have been that situation of some need. But we read in verse 34, look with me at verse 34, that there was no needy person among them. Even though some of them might have run out of money, none of them had any needs. They were all provided for. How? Same verse. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Why does Luke show us this sketch of a generous church? Why does he do it here um, in Acts? Well, I think it's to give us confidence in Jesus. Luke and Luke's second book, Acts, are, are written to give us confidence in Jesus, that he's the fulfillment of all of God's promises and that the message about him is true. God's plan has never been for socialism to be established in the world, generosity at the end of a gun, but it's always been that his people would love and care for those who have need. And we read about that in the reading earlier, didn't we, from Deuteronomy. I don't know if I've put that up. I've probably forgotten a few slides. Um, oh, don't worry, I've, I've, uh, I think I've lost that one. But you can remember that passage in Deuteronomy where as the people come into the land, God is instructing them how to care for those who have need. It's always been God's passion and his concern. And what we see here is that Jesus loves generosity. The risen Lord Jesus loves generosity. He's fulfilling the purposes that God has for his people. In other words, here is God's people. Here in the church, it's God's people following God's king. Even just the weeks after Pentecost and Peter preaching. This is what's happened. Look at verse 33 in our passage. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus who'd been crucified and dismissed as nobody actually is God's king and risen and vindicated and has poured out his spirit and is rescuing men and women. The verse I read at the beginning. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God Boldly, That was what was going on. And Jesus really is God's king and this really is his people. And that's seen because Jesus loves generosity and his people are expressing that same concern. And as Tim alluded to earlier in the service, Jesus has made us his concern, hasn't he? He has been supremely generous to us. And new life is ours as a result now and forever if we're a Christian. And so because of that, his concerns and his people become our concerns as he works in us. And that's what we're seeing here among the people who are Christians there. That explains verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They'd had a mind change because of belonging to Jesus now. They therefore belonged to one another. That's the privilege and, and wonder of a local church uh, like uh, yourselves, like us in Tipton, a deep unity of heart and soul because we're all joined to Jesus. But also a radical new attitude to life. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, I think my mum would have been all right in the early church. She loved to sell, sew name tapes on all we had when we were kids. It wasn't that people stopped having to put name tags on their clothes, but it was just that because they realised that Jesus had given them everything and everything that we have belongs to Jesus, they realised that if he said, give, then it was to be given. 
So it wasn't a removal of, uh, of property rights, but it was a, a radical new appetite, attitude. Everything I have is Jesus's. How can I serve him? John Wesley famously said that the last part of a person to be converted was their wallet or pocket. And perhaps that's been our experience, maybe in our own lives, or maybe as we reflect on uh, others around us. But you know, that's not what we see in the Bible. That's not what we see in Acts, is it? Because here, these Christians, they were immediately, their wallets were being affected. And not for that matter in the Gospels. You think of Zacchaeus or, or Mary anointing Jesus' feet, or Joseph of Arimathea, and where Jesus was, was buried in the tomb. Jesus loves generosity. And the great news is that he changes people like you and me, who are naturally selfish, about our time, about our money, about our homes, to be those who are learning to let go and to give help to other Christians as Jesus leads us to do that. It's so encouraging to see that within a church setting. A church like this, I don't know you very well, but I'd be amazed if I could know all the secrets of all the things that are going on. I'd be amazed if in the last six months money hasn't been given um, one to another or meals cooked and shared or maybe some, someone's paid for someone to go out and have a, have a McDonald's or a meal or something or help given with jobs in the, in the house or uh, lifts given. Or you could go on ways that we share and care for each other. Jesus loves generosity. He's at work in us, his people, giving and receiving. And maybe it's important just to stop on this. It's two sides, isn't it? And so this passage just reminds us that if we have needs or a time in our lives when we have a need, because it's not, our life isn't always smooth, is it? Sometimes we can be doing fine and other times we have great needs. That's okay. It's okay to have needs and to receive from others. And actually we need the Lord's help to do that and to share that need and to look for uh, help. But Jesus' grace is at work. And it's encouraging when we see that as churches as well, as we give to support Christians or other churches in need, whether that's within something like the FIEC or whether it's around uh, the world. I'm hoping the slide, there we go, that's where hopefully you can see that. In 2012, 2013, uh, Gunnersbury Baptist Church received a large legacy. And part of what they did with that was they funded a women's worker in Trinity Church in Everton. That really encouraged me when I heard about that. And the generosity of the people in Gunnersbury, which is a wealthy uh, part of the world, helping uh, the gospel in a poorer part. And then in 2014, um, Hadley Baptist Church, they were coming up to their 200th anniversary, and they knew of a gospel work in India called the Village Church Project that gives a local Indian village congregation the provision of a church building, two rooms to house a pastor and his family, and a water well for the community, how much would you um, uh, give for that? How much would that cost you? Only £11,000. That's a lot of money, isn't it? But you get a lot for that in India, don't you? Incredible impact that uh, can be had. And so that's what they decided to do. They raised that money and gave to that church right overseas. Jesus loves generosity. So grow in the grace of giving. Well, I wonder what it is for you. Perhaps you're at your fighting weight. If you know fighting, you'll know the person behind me. Perhaps you're at your fighting weight in terms of giving. You're organized, you're active, you're faithful, you're generous. Well, if that's you, you can switch off just for a moment. But for the rest of us, we're not, are we? I don't know if we feel quite like Tyson Fury. About two years ago, he weighed 28 stone, which for an elite athlete is quite a lot, and was in terrible condition. 
A year later, he fought Deontay Wilder and nearly won. Some people would say he did win. It was a huge jump. He couldn't have done that weighing 28 stone. He lost 10 stone in the course of a year, which is amazing, isn't it? How did he do that? Well, it was one step at a time. There's a video of him doing his first run at 28 stone. And it turns quite quickly into a walk. (laughs) And he just about can speak to camera as he's doing it. But he also had the right mindset and the right trainer. That's the same for us. Step by step, with the right mindset and the right trainer. And our trainer is Jesus. He loves us. All that he has, he's given to me, to you. And all that I have is his. That's a totally different mindset, isn't it, to our lives. So I wonder what the next step is for you today, this week. Jesus loves generosity, so grow in the grace of giving. Okay, so grow in the grace of giving. But where God's grace and his word are at work, especially in significant ways, where we're really seeing God change in situations and people's hearts and there's actual practical things going on like this that are really, you know, actual things, people selling houses and, and giving the money and that kind of thing, really amazing things. There'll also be temptations uh, that come, temptations to want what other people have, the spiritual gifts that other people have, the situation where they can be the one who's giving all of that to compete and maybe even to take shortcuts to try and get what other people want. In short, to be envious and covetous of other people or maybe of other churches, I guess. And that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. In verse 36, we're told about Joseph. Except we don't know him, about, we don't know him as Joseph really in the New Testament because we know him as Barnabas. But we here find out he used to be called Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname. What a great nickname to have. The son of encouragement. And you can... No doubt why he got that, given that he was the kind of guy who would sell a field and give the money so that other people could be helped. If you've got someone that here at Pelsall, they will be an encouragement. That's just, that's just going to happen, isn't it? Wow. We've got Barnabas, and he's just a great, great guy. Well, that's what just happened in 36 and 37. Well, like Joseph, Ananias and Sapphira were Christians with property. And like Joseph, they'd sold it, 5 verse 1. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And they brought the proceeds to be used in the church. That's important. To note, this, this, this couple, they weren't um, under obligation to sell the land. And they weren't under obligation to give all the money to the apostles. Look at verse 4, when Peter's speaking to him. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal. They could have done anything with this money. They didn't even need to sell in the first place. But when they did sell it, they then decided to keep some back and they lied about it. So they gave the impression they were giving everything when in fact they were giving a part. The problem wasn't that they gave a part. They were at liberty to do that. But they didn't say that they were giving a part. They said... They were giving the whole. I don't know, we're not told why they did that. Did they overcommit and then realise too late, oh actually we, 
We can't be like Barnabas because our finances don't quite work like his. But we're a bit embarrassed now and we're not going to be honest about it. Or were they more calculating? Well, they, they wanted that status that Barnabas had in the community and the love and the affection and the joy that he was bringing, but they wanted it at half the price. They wanted the shortcut. They wanted that without actually paying the cost of which it cost Barnabas. It hurt Barnabas. He lost his field. They didn't want to lose a whole field or whatever it was. And so we're not told. Either way, they lied about it. They were hypocrites, presenting themselves as really godly and generous, but actually being selfish and unlike God. Hypocrisy is really serious. At my secondary school, during my final year, there was a problem. Uh, my, my school was set in a, quite a small town where everyone knew everyone and all that was going on. And there was a coffee shop that everyone in the, in the senior year liked to go to. And there was a problem there. I won't tell you what it was, but there was some loud and some rude behaviour that went on. And the owner complained to the school. And the prefect in charge of that part of school life, I forget, he might have been called like tea shop prefect or something. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what it was. It was something like that. He was in charge of uh, a very important part of life like that. Anyway, he wrote a letter to all the teachers and everyone in the school to try and get to to the bottom of who had done this outrageous thing uh, in in public in uh, in the tea shop. Trouble was, it had been him. It had been him who had done it. So when he messed around in the coffee shop, uh, rudely and loudly, that was a problem, wasn't it? Like, that wasn't a good thing to do. And when he didn't confess it, that was like a bit of a bigger problem that he didn't do it. But when he presented himself to the world as the cleanser of all tea shops from all bad behaviour for the school and prosecuting other people, And then actually it became clear that it was him. Then that was a really, really big problem. And he was demoted from being a prefect uh, pretty sharpish. And as far as I know, he now works in the prison service. So there you go. Hypocrisy is serious. And in Jesus' church, it dishonors God and reduces trust and love between his people. And that God wants us to enjoy as a church. And Jesus hates Hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian. And hypocrisy that you've seen in people who say they're Christians or that you suspect is what's stopping you from coming to Christ. Listen, Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates it more than you do. I mean, take... Take in what happened to Ananias and Sapphira and how serious it was. They both dropped dead right in the meeting. So don't stay away from Jesus if you hate hypocrisy. Don't let hypocrites get between you and God who hates hypocrites. Come nearer to Jesus than the hypocrites. Come to him. Jesus hates hypocrisy. We're told in Scripture numbers 32, your sin will find you out. And that can happen supernaturally and dramatically because the risen Lord Jesus is in our midst as his people. This isn't a club, this is Jesus' church. I was in a a tough church culture where we were uh, struggling to see God's word change things and uh, people uh, who would say they were Christians really live as Christians and 
for uh, the church to be outward looking and compassionate and uh, willing to change things so that people could hear the gospel and it was very hard. I remember one uh, week uh, those of us who were involved in leading would we just had a prayer meeting we were crying out to the Lord to change the situation and to to deal with whatever it was that was needed dealing with in that situation. And I'll never forget it because that week an older man, a leader in the church, died. And as we gathered for his funeral, we were all very surprised when all of this man's Freemason friends turned up and the church was absolutely packed to the rafters with, rafters with Freemasons. No one knew. But Jesus knew. And so sometimes Jesus does things supernaturally like that. It can happen supernaturally and slowly, less dramatically than that. Maybe through a process of church discipline. Or I guess if sin's not taken seriously in a congregation or a denomination, maybe it's just a decline and collapse of that. We know it's going to happen supernaturally. And finally, at the last day, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles. Look, we were at church. We were members. We did all these things. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus is committed to exposing and dealing with hypocrisy. And so therefore, the application for us is to honor honesty. I really do want the Lord to deal with my heart as I'm on sabbatical. I was really struck by that American pastor who um, I've seen his name on uh, uh, conferences and he's written books. Actually, there was sin in his life that he needed addressed. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need the Lord to deal with us. But the sin of hypocrisy and the seed of hypocrisy is, is kind of in us all, isn't it? We can all be like Ananias and Sapphira where we say we'll do one thing and then we don't do it. We create an impression that we're much more spiritual than we are. Have we ever talked about reading the Bible and praying and then not really done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, oh, I'll pray for you to someone and then not done it? Have you ever talked about witnessing to other people? But actually, you know, that's not really what your life is about. When you leave here, that's not your heartbeat or your concern. We can all do it, can't we? In different ways. Good news for us this morning is that Jesus isn't trying to catch us out. He's not trying to trip us up. I wonder if you uh, remember 1 John chapter 1 where uh, Jesus says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The problem comes when we won't admit our sin and we won't confess our sin. Do read that over my shoulder as I'm just speaking now because it's important truths for us to get into our heads. Jesus isn't trying to trip us up this morning. There's a warning, but there's also a wooing. Jesus' grace is at work so that we would fear him and not play games with him or with each other so that we grow in being honest and in being genuine about our sin and genuine about our saviour problem comes when we pretend to be something that we're not and we don't live with the risen Lord Jesus at the centre of our lives together I came across uh, this uh, on Twitter uh, the other week 
Actually, it was uh, tweeted by Mike Reeves, who's uh, speaking at the men's convention. Do book uh, your tickets when those come on available uh, in a few weeks' time. Well, he just tweeted this. He must have been in the States of the church. And uh, I don't know if you can see the, uh, the mantra there. Uh, the Emmanuel Church mantra. One, I'm a complete idiot. Two, my future is incredibly bright. Three, anyone can get in on this. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a great way to express you know, uh, being church together, but um, isn't that great? That's honesty about sin. It's not maybe how you'd say it. I'm a complete idiot. I'm a real sinner. I really sin. It's honest about Jesus and what a great saviour he is. And it's hopeful that he's for us and that anyone who will call on him can have all the blessings that he wants uh, to give us. When we have the risen Lord Jesus at the centre of our life together as a church, what a great community that is to be part of. One that's growing in generosity and one that is growing in being genuine. Selfishness and hypocrisy are deadly. The Jeremy Kyle show has imploded. Ananias and Sapphira's bodies were dragged from the church meeting. Yet Jesus' power to change selfish people into sacrificial servants of one another is real. And it's attractive. And it's awesome. And Jesus' power to bring an end to hypocrisy. So that his people are honest and genuine is real and awesome and attractive. May his great grace be at work and upon us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this encouraging passage that encourages us that your grace is at work and changes our hearts and our lives that really impacts not just an hour or two on a Sunday, but everything about us, that leads us on a challenging but exciting journey where we allow you to lead us and to shape us, where you change our affections, the things that we think are really important, our priorities, the people that we love and care for. Thank you that you, as you bring us to yourself and give yourself to us fully as you died for our sins on the cross and rose again to give us new life. Thank you that you also bring us to be part of your church and your people, to give and to receive in this wonderful, attractive, lovely way that we see in Acts 4. But thank you too, Lord, that uh, you're not to be trifled with. You're the Lord, the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you that you deal with hypocrisy. Thank you too that you can help us to be honest, to be people who are filled with integrity. Because your grace is at work in us, we can admit our sin. We can be honest with one another. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Pelsall Evangelical Church that they would know your grace more and more at work in them, growing them in generosity, growing them in honesty and genuineness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing two, two songs uh, now as we um, uh, process God's words uh, together. The first is a simple chorus, and it picks up that challenge, doesn't it? It picks up that challenge to be honest about uh, before the Lord, about who we are, about our sin. Search me, O oh God. And so we'll, uh, we'll sing that. Should we stay seated to do that? Is that okay? So we'll stay seated. We'll sing this through as many times as the musicians uh, lead us to do. Uh, And then we're going to sing a song that lifts our eyes to rejoice in what a great saviour Jesus is and to commit ourselves 
to wholeheartedly to his work in us and uh, through us. So let's uh, sit and sing and then we'll stand to sing the second song. <laughs>